Well, this is it, ladies and gentlemen. Once again, it's time to go inside EMS. I am your host, Chris Sebelera, and I am so excited, so excited to be with you again this week. And this episode of Inside EMS is sponsored by ImageTrend, the creators of Continuum, an active data monitoring solution for near real-time insights of your data through dashboards and alerts. And i got to tell you, man, when we think about Inside EMS, we try to bring you the latest topics that really are going on inside EMS, right? So we kind of pay attention to the stories, and we kind of pay attention to the trends. And today we're going to talk about COVID-19 and vaccinations, and where does this fit into EMS, and what do the EMS providers really think about it? But before we do that, I have got a special, I'm going to say it again, special co-host for you today, and that is the editor-in-chief of EMS One. Carrie Hatt. Carrie, I want to thank you for joining us on this edition of Inside EMS. Thank you. Thanks for having me. You know, when we think about vaccines, Carrie, you know, we EMS One ran us uh, kind of a little survey from August to September, and maybe just give us the parameters of what that survey was about. Sure. So we wanted to look at vaccination across EMS. We looked at the comparison between influenza vaccination and COVID-19 potential future vaccination. We looked at agency mandates, provider practices, and ethical considerations, looking at perceptions of, of obligation to be vaccinated, and just trying to get a look at how things might be shifting as we come up upon this potential COVID-19 vaccine and whether that's impacting influenza vaccination rates and, and what providers are really thinking about how they're going to approach this vaccination. Yeah, I think that that's really important. I mean, when we start to think about this from the standpoint of, you know, we're now getting into the, into the cold and flu season, right? So now we've got to be able to balance what that looks like between getting a flu vaccine and then the eventuality is using COVID vaccines. And one of the things that has, has been talked about a lot is our paramedics, our community paramedics, going to be the conduit to assist in the vaccine administration. But I think one of the things that we need to think about is everyone is saying that when it now comes to the COVID-19 vaccine, they want to start to give it to healthcare providers first. And I think that this is going to really kind of open up a Pandora's box to find a can of worms. You have people like me who are going to want to be on the front lines to say, I'll take my vaccine now, please. You're going to have other people who are going to say, you know what, I just don't trust this process yet. And I think this is a really, really scary time. So if I ask you, Carrie, what was the response to this survey? Like, like any hot topic and, and a controversial subject, it was divided. Um, we definitely have comments coming in daily from both those perspectives. We have people who say, sign me up. I'm ready. I'll be first in line the day the vaccine's available. If there's five available, I'll take all five. I want to be as protected as possible. And then we have the other side of the coin, people who don't want to be considered a guinea pig. They're afraid that with providers in the front and, and getting that before it's been tested and before there's been enough time to study potential side effects, that it's not safe and that they don't want to be the first and, and they'd rather wait until there's a little bit more science established. So we're looking at, at overall, it was just about 28% reported that they will take the COVID-19 vaccine when available. There were 12% that said they would only be vaccinated if mandated by their employer. 
And the largest group, 41%, said no, they will not be vaccinated. And then there's another population, 19%, that are still on the fence. So I think that's a pretty significant amount to show that while some people are, are definitely, we're getting a lot of comments that are just a straight up yes or no, I will or I will not be vaccinated. But there is a large group who's still considering. So I'm wondering, what, what do you think are those factors that will go into making that decision between now and a vaccine if that's in the next two weeks, two months, what, what that timeline looks like? What do you think about those undecided votes? Yeah, I think that that's really a great question. And I think that we're in this, you know, we're in this political um, environment right now where everything seems, every topic that has importance seems to be politicized. And, you know, from masks to vaccines to the COVID, uh, you know, disease itself. And I think that people are really trying to pick sides on where they stand. Uh, I think um, there are some accusations that come from, you know, the White House or people pointing to the White House who say that the, the administration is not giving the science enough respect to make sure that the vaccines are ready to be given. And I think that this gives the people who believe in the science a little bit of the concern that we're going to rush a vaccine to the, um, you know, rush a vaccine to the market that may not be ready. I mean, we, we constantly read that these folks and Pfizer and Moderna and, you know, uh, these other, you know, these other agencies that are trying to lead with getting this vaccine out, that they're, uh, you know, a couple times they're having to suspend the trials because they're, you know, getting some adverse effects. And this is what we're used to expecting when it comes from these, uh, you know, people who are delivering the medications. And I think, you know, to your question where you say, what do you think that's relating to? You know, I think that that has a lot to do. The confidence in what we put in our body is, is really needs to be high. You know, we want to believe in science. We want to believe that we're going to be safe. But uh, when, we, when we look at the people who are leading us today, we have two powerful entities who are telling us everything's going to be okay, and one entity is saying, don't rush this process. So to your question, Carrie, I think that the challenge is, you know, who do we believe? And in the absence of the evidence to believe the process is going to be safe, it's easier for me to say I'm not going to be on the front line. You know, me uh, believing in uh, the science, I think when the, you know, the um, – uh, vaccines come out and everybody says that they're ready to go, I'm going to believe that. And I think that I have to be able to be one of the first that get those vaccines. So, you know, you, you, re you really have some great stats. You talked about 28%, 17%, and then it was in the 40s of people that were on the fence. It's interesting where you mentioned that people um, would take it only if it was mandated. And that was a very, very low percentage because there are some agencies that mandate the flu shot. And as we know from the flu shot and strains before, there have been flu shots that have been put out that have not been effective for that strain of flu. So we've even had to go through that in that process to make sure that uh, that flu vaccine was safe. But when we think about it from the mandate, agencies may have you know they may mandate the COVID vaccine, and if only seventeen percent are saying that they're going to take it, 
I think that that could be a real challenge. And this is still a hot topic on EMS-1, isn't it, Carrie? I mean, it, it didn't just end with this survey. You're getting some incredible comments on this as well. Absolutely. We're getting a number of responses to either our Facebook posts. We're getting a lot of engagement, but we're getting emails and comments on the articles themselves every day. So it's an ongoing issue. And to speak to that influenza comparison, there there were some people, we asked about mandates, and there was about 24% of respondents that noted that their agency does mandate influenza vaccination for frontline personnel. But then a large portion of those did have exemptions, either religious or health exemptions, both in some cases. So it, it does seem as if most agencies, vaccination is, is an opt-in situation for the frontline providers. They're opting in whether there's a mandate and they have exemptions available, but the majority of providers are choosing whether or not to be vaccinated. In about a third, slightly more than a third, have chosen not to be vaccinated for influenza in the past year, and it's about the same numbers this year. So there is a significant portion that are choosing not to get this vaccine that has been tested. There are obviously varying degrees of efficacy from year to year for the flu vaccine, but but there's been you know a number of studies. It's been years of no side effects or minimal side effects. So that comparison is is interesting that there's still a large portion who don't want to be vaccinated regardless, COVID or influenza. You know, I would like to be able to see this year how many people will line up to get the regular flu shot compared to years past. I mean, I, you know, anti-vaxxers are really in this mix of, you know, thinking I don't need to get this because it causes, you know, whatever it is. And I certainly don't know the argument enough to stand up and, and talk about, what the belief is of people who don't like the vaccines for themselves or their children. But I, I wonder in this day of COVID, if it changes a little bit of the philosophy of those folks to say, you know, maybe if I get this flu shot, it'll at least keep me safe from getting the flu. And I won't have to worry about, you know, if I get sick, I know that it probably pinpoints a little bit into the COVID. And we already know that when we take the flu shot, we're, we're getting a you know, a, a less severe dose of the flu, and we may pick up with some of those symptoms, right, with, uh, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, sniffles, a little bit of uh, a bit of body aches, but it, it's going to be an interesting time because I would think that when people take the flu shot and if they are getting symptoms, is that going to automatically think that I've got the COVID now? And, I mean, every little thing that I experience, it makes me think that, Oh my gosh, is this it? I got it. I got it. I shouldn't have I shouldn't have licked those doorknobs on my way to get some food the other day. I don't really lick the doorknobs, Carrie, so I don't want you to think I do. But but I think that it, but it's really one of those things where it's made me a little bit I don't want to say neurotic, but it's made me very, very um aware of every little bump and bruise that I feel. You know, I have a I had a little cough a couple of weeks ago. And uh, it was a non-productive cough. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is it. Chris has got it. Oh, my, Elizabeth, I'm coming to join you, honey, if you remember back in the old Sanford and Sundays. But it, come, it came out <laughs> to be that I was just having some post-nasal drip because of my sinuses in the change of the weather from, you know, summer to fall. But, you know, the people that are really kind of heightened when it comes to this, I don't know that uh, – these flu shots are really going to be positive or negative for them. And it kind of gives me a little bit of concern. So, you know, the, you know, the, the work that you're doing with the comments 
and everybody who's commenting on, it would seem that, you know, a lot of times the things that EMS1 does for surveys, they kind of start, they end, we analyze the data. I wonder, is this something now that might be a continuation of, um, you know, different types of gathering, different types of data? Uh, certainly you can't trend the comments, but if people are invested in the comments, do you send it out again for see if you get more responses, or does that skew the data from what you've already received? It's that's an interesting question. There's there's been so many comments that it is I'm keeping track of them. It's a little bit harder to calculate the numbers on that where we're not getting it in this we use Microsoft Forms for the original survey, so you can export that data into Excel and then you can analyze things with pivot tables and really look at those numbers and it's a little bit more difficult with the comments, but it is definitely worth I'm keeping track and seeing, you know, it seems to be a pretty even split that we're getting in comments and, but trending those kind of groups of not just yes or no, but where they provide more information about what are the concerns or why do you think that you are ethically obligated to, to get it. Um, and I think, you know, it's interesting what you were saying about the influenza vaccine. We're not, we're not really sure yet what's going to happen this year. There's, we're going to probably see lower rates than we would because people are practicing social distancing. They're using their hand hygiene. They are wearing masks. So there's there's going to be that level of protection that's going to help. But then there's also going to be the other side of that coin, the people that are afraid to go out, that don't want to go to a healthcare facility. They might not want to go to a pharmacy and to get that flu vaccine. So the CDC has put out a bunch of messaging about how important it is to continue and to keep those regular vaccinations, but it will be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, I think you bring up a good point with people social distancing and wearing masks, and I want to examine that on the other side of the mid-show break, but easily improve your insights, see individualized scorecards or agency-wide metrics with no reports to build. Yes, it's that simple with performance insights and image trend continuum. Easily encourage accountability and promote operational excellence. See what your data is telling you. I'll say it again, no reports to build with performance insights. Visit imagetrend.com slash PI. You know, Carrie, when you were when I was given my opinion about the flu shot, you bring up a really good point of social distancing and face masks. I know the concern as it gets colder with COVID people are saying that it's going to push people inside more, which is now going to increase the people that are congregating inside, which may increase the ability for folks to contract the COVID-19 um, virus. But you bring up the point where you say with masks and with social distancing, I hadn't considered that yet, whereas I was opining before the break that people may line up to take the flu shot more than they did in years past because of this. But with your comment, it makes us lead to believe that maybe less people are going to take it because they're being more active with social distancing. They're being active with mask wearing. They're using hand sanitizer more. They're using, uh, they're washing their hands more than normal. So in retrospect, it may be that this may drive down the amount of people who are going to take the flu shot uh, only because they're doing things they don't normally do, um, you know, in years past. So I think that that's an interesting analogy now to weigh where, you know, I'm saying maybe more people will take it, but 
am I going to be apt to take it now, knowing that I wear a mask everywhere I go? And I'm, I, I wash my hands so much, I, I see tendons, right? And I'm using hand sanitizer so much that uh, it tastes good on my burger now. And um, But now I think we've got to really kind of consider how will this year's flu season be affected by the fact that we're being more cautious as, as a population. It is. And, and where you were saying, you know, you, you had that tickle in the throat or a cough and you immediately think COVID and that's, that's a common reaction right now. But when you look at what's going on with the schools and with businesses and, and companies that have closed and that, you know, if you come in with a slight temperature or people are checking your temperature before you can get into certain facilities or restaurants even, um, I tried to get some glasses last week and they took my temperature before I was allowed to come in and look at the glasses and then they sanitized every one that I tried on. So that was a little bit intimidating. <laughs> but with that extra heightened focus on your health, I think maybe more people will get the flu vaccine because they don't want to get anything even related to COVID. If you come down with a fever, a cough, a cold, then you're supposed to social distance for two weeks. You should stay away from everybody, kids home from school, people home from work. So your spouses or anybody that you're interacting with is then going to be, you know, potentially exposed. So there's there's definitely more impetus this year to stay healthy and to stay well and to avoid things like colds and flu. So so that's another factor as well. You know, just kind of flipping the coin a little bit and maybe just for opinion's sake, you know, we talk about that community paramedics paramedics may be on the front line of delivering the COVID vaccines, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't leaving their home, but it may be that we're giving, you know, we may uh, wind up giving some of the flu vaccines as well, since we have the opportunity to go into people's homes uh, and we're not transporting them. And that may be something to think about from the organizational standpoint, can EMS assist in delivering the regular flu shots? But from the COVID-19 shots, there has been a lot of push especially for the community paramedics, to be on the front lines of delivering the COVID vaccine in the home. And I'm uh, involved in a, you know, a community paramedicine pilot with Anthem, and I talked to the Anthem medical directors and said, hey, how about you paying us for, reim- how about for reimbursing us for the COVID shots if we can do that? And there certainly is some interest in doing that. But, Carrie, I think my my uh, where I'm going down this line is if people are feeling that they wouldn't take the shot because of its efficacy or it's uh, from a moral standpoint, are they going to be willing to give it as well if it comes down to the point of delivering it to other people? Is it that you're just going to have your own belief and it's not going to affect your ability to treat or are you going to be able to say, you know what, I don't believe in this because I don't think this is going to be a, you know, before we started, you mentioned the term, I don't want to be a guinea pig. Will it give providers a feeling that says, I don't want to give this vaccine because I don't want to hurt, you know, do no harm. That's what we're told to do. But if I'm given that vaccine and we don't know that if it's going to be successful and where did it come from and was it pushed to market, now I'm given something that could hurt somebody. I don't want to do it. I think that's going to open up another uh, Pandora's box. Absolutely. And will they be able to do it? You know, whether they want to or whether they think it's an ethical 
if it's a conflict. And Matt Zavadsky brought up the point, we asked him to weigh in on the survey results, and, and he brought up the point that our national organizations have been advocating for EMS to get involved in providing vaccines and to be in that first tier of administration themselves. But he brought up the point, if you're not vaccinated as a provider, then can you be allowed to vaccinate others? It doesn't make sense to have people coming in to get their vaccine in contact with somebody who is themselves unvaccinated. And so that's, that's an interesting part. But to the ethical considerations, we asked if providers think that they, as frontline responders, are ethically obligated to get a COVID-19 vaccine. And it was less than a third that said yes. So it was about 27% believe frontline EMS has an ethical obligation. And, and some providers weighed in and said, you know, yes, do no harm. That was one of the points brought up and promoting public health and promoting health and wellness in general, that it's an ethical obligation to do your part in promoting that herd immunity and protecting the public and the patients that you're interacting with. Um, but a lot of people felt very strongly that, no, it's, it's not. And we asked about the concerns they had about the vaccine itself. And the number one was the potential side effects, um, followed by the speed of the approval process. So a lot of people commenting on how, how many years have gone into bringing a vaccine to market in the past and where this is just a matter of months, that how can we possibly know about the side effects? And, and like you said, every time we have one of those um, trials is interrupted by, you know, some, some unknown illness came up or there's a, a bit of a concern, so we're going to pause this vaccine trial. It, it damages our trust in the vaccine. And so we're just seeing that there's not that trust in a vaccine that is so, so quick to the market. Um, the other considerations were the efficacy. Will it even work? How have we proven that it's, that it's going to be effective? And availability, um, which is obviously a concern. The the uh, CDC is telling states to be ready early November to start distributing. We haven't had a vaccine approved, but it seems like it's imminent. And then how will we be getting that out? It's looking like with the remaining candidates, it might be a two-part vaccine, so it might be two doses, and it might need to be frozen, which would be an additional consideration for storage and distribution throughout the country and then how we're going to actually administer it. So there's a lot of complications here from a logistical standpoint in addition to the ethical side. And I think that one of the things that's really interesting is that EMS has always tried to find a way to get into the mainstream to prove the worth of the things that we're doing within our career field. And what's the value proposition of EMS? And, you know, we have to, we're switching to community paramedicine that when we start to see a decrease in CMS funding, we can have developed an alternative funding stream. And now with the COVID back, you know, the COVID pandemic, it really has put EMS on the forefront of delivering care in the home. And we've made some great stride with showing the value of EMS as we now are not taking patients to the hospital. We're treating them more at home. We're connecting them more with telemedicine. But now we've got to continue this and move this to the next level. And when we think about this from the standpoint of giving the, 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 vaccine, the vaccinations, we can't now be at a place where we were being all gung-ho in this day of COVID to finally say, nope, I'm not doing it, because I think now we damage some of the relationships, some of the value we created um, from the COVID side uh, or treating from the COVID side and treating people in the homes now during our, our dedication to this 
uh, response to COVID pandemic. So this is going to be a very, very interesting uh, concept as we move forward. I got to tell you, I mean, EMS1 is leading when it comes to doing surveys like this and getting people involved. But the more and more people carry that we get involved with their comments and their concerns and their questions, I think that that's what's going to be positive. And I want to go ahead and challenge the listeners of this show. When you hear, um, go ahead and not only mention what a great co-host Carrie was, but I would also want you to give me your opinion on how you feel about the COVID vaccine, if you would take it, but more importantly, if you don't take it, would you give it to people who needed it? So, Carrie, I got to tell you, I want to thank you for joining us on the show. You know, it was important that we get this survey out, and uh, you're welcome to come back anytime. And uh, it's a lot more fun having you here than Kelly. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate the warm reception. And just to add to that point about asking the readers to weigh in, I really do appreciate every comment, every survey response that we get. It's so valuable to us to help shape our coverage and really understand what the concerns are, where people are on some of these issues. So it's it's very helpful um, every time we get those comments. So I do appreciate that. And we're also, we're looking at what's our next survey going to be. We're thinking about some medication considerations. We're looking at a couple different things. So please email us, editor at ems1.com, with what you'd like to see next from us in terms of our next survey and analysis. So thank you again. Awesome, and it's always great to have you on here. And I know deep down in your heart, I am your favorite podcast host. No need to say it because I just know it in my heart. Absolutely. But, oh, thank you. She did say it. I just want to go ahead and put that on a loop so I can play it for Kelly. But everybody out there, I want to thank you for joining us on the show, and it's always fun when we get to talk about things that may be controversial. And this is where your voice comes in, and we want to be able to hear your voice, as Carrie said. So go ahead and get us some of your comments and questions and concerns. If you want, you can email us at the show at ems1.com. I'm Chris Sabalera for Kelly Grayson. We look forward to chatting with everyone again next week. One more thing, Chris and Kelly. If you're on SoundCloud, just hang on a second because I'm coming right along with my EMS One Stop. So I'll see you there and whatever this week's topic is going to be. Bye for now.